Well, good morning, Harvest. Why don't you go ahead and uh, take your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 32. If you turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 32, so we're going to be this morning. If you don't have a Bible on you this morning, there's ushers who would love to get a Bible into your hand. So if you forgot your Bible, if you didn't bring a Bible, if you throw your hand up, we'd love to get a Bible into your hand so you can turn to Exodus chapter 32 this morning. Genesis, Exodus, second book in the Bible, easy to find, Exodus chapter 32. As you're turning there, you know, I, I don't think I, I know of any Christian who's been, been truly transformed by the grace of God who sets out at that moment of salvation when, when, when God grips your heart and changes your heart, that at that moment you set out for this trajectory of saying, you know what, I think I'm gonna be a casual, hypocritical, going through the motions kind of Christian. No one sets out that way and yet, and yet it happens, doesn't it? And when we can come to church and we can, we can sing the songs, we can be in God's word, we can hear God's word preached and our, and our minds and our hearts can be so far from wanting God's glory to be the center of our lives, the center of our church. I think it's so easy for us to become so careless in our words, in our actions, in our thoughts, and we begin to presume on the grace of God. We, we begin to become casual with the things of God. And then we read in, in Acts 2, we read the, the power of God being unleashed on the church and God's, God's work in, in power and lives transformed and cities transformed and nations transformed as they're turned upside down with the good news of Jesus Christ. And, and you see the glory of God. You see his holiness. You see his purity. You see his power. His, you see his righteous anger against sin and, and his unimaginable grace and forgiveness. And begin to think even in those moments of, of when we're casual, even in those moments of when we're just going through the motions and we really start to think about this amazing grace of God, about his power, about his holiness, we think, we th we think Man, I do want that. I want my life to be more about that. I think that in every believer there should be what John Piper, he calls it a holy dissatisfaction. We're, 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 we're kind of tired of the meaningless. We're like, I don't like where I am right now. I'm, I'm tired of relationships and marriages and, and friendships and families and churches that are empty of the power of God and empty of the love of Christ. I, I don't want to be there anymore. I'm dissatisfied with that. I'm tired of, of life being filled with so much activity yet so little authenticity. I'm tired of faking it. I'm tired of the boring, monotonous, checkmark, going through the motions kind of Christianity. I'm tired of forgetting about God. As a follower of Jesus Christ, we shouldn't be okay with any contradiction to, to what I think, what I believe, and what I say and the truth of the gospel. So that whenever there's sin in my life, I should feel a pain in my heart. Whenever my life doesn't match up to what God's called me to, it, it should cause me to think, I don't want to be here anymore. Whenever I become casual about God, casual about sin, casual about God's wrath against sin and his call to a new life in Christ, it should bother me. I'm so glad that even though I can be casual about sin, that Jesus was not casual at all. The, the amazing part of amazing grace is that, that Jesus in his passion uh, and, his, and his grace, that he stepped into our world to give himself to completely wipe away every sin 
in my heart, every sin in your heart. And so over the month of January, I had a sermon series planned to start off this year. We're going we're gonna to talk about prayer, and we're, we are going to jump into that later in the year. And yet, over the Christmas holidays, I just felt my heart being pressed on and moved by, by the Lord to, to, to jump into this topic for the, for the beginning of January. To dig deeper into God's call to holiness, to, to talk about sin. So the first two Sundays, we're, we're going to dig deep into, hey, what does God's word say about sin? We're, we're then going to talk about what does confession and repentance really look like? And finally, we're going to end with, what about that sin? What about those sins that their roots go deep into my heart? And it feels like I could just never get past these. We're going to see that God is gracious, he is good, he is kind, that God moves towards, he, he initiates, he, he moves towards us, not away from us in our sin, but he moves towards you to deliver you, to rescue you, to give you the one thing your heart really desires. And I think what's so heartbreaking is that we can be casual about this grace. So casual that we'll talk a lot about grace, we'll talk a lot about the cross, and yet we'll forget about his holiness, we'll forget about God's wrath against sin. So, so casual about sin that it, it doesn't even bother me anymore, and we end up rebelling against God. And what's so crazy about that is we're rebelling against a God who says, I've come to give you life and I rebel against that life and I pursue death. He says, I've come to give you freedom and I rebel against that freedom and we, we run to the slavery of sin. We rebel against the one thing that our hearts crave for that, that only God can provide. And so I want us to look into God's word. And see how, how God's grace calls us out of rebellion, calls us out of being just casual about his glory, calls us out of being just okay with sin in my life and see that God's calling us to repentance, to a new life. To see God at work, not just in a, a temporary, I can just kind of wipe a bit of that dirt away, but he's pressing in for a deep clean of our hearts. And so let, let me read the first six verses of Exodus 32, and then I'm going to pray before we jump in. Here we go. Exodus 32, it starts like this. It says, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, Moses had gone up on Mount Sinai. He's been up there for a while. It says, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what's become of him. So Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron, and he received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, take, and they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day. They offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Let me pray for us this morning before we jump in. Lord God, I do pray. Father, I pray that you'd help us to heed the warning that we read here in Exodus 32. God, I pray that we would see you for who you are, that you're a God of grace and mercy, but you have a holy wrath that burns against sin. 
God, help us not to just see the sin of the people here in Exodus 32, but, but Lord, let your word be a mirror in our own lives, that we would see our sin, that, that we would see the great salvation that we have in Christ, and it's in, in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. If you're taking notes this morning, here's our first point this morning. It's this, that when we forget God, we choose sin. When we forget God, we choose sin. I mean, what's happening in this passage, it actually seems ridiculous if you think about it. it. It had been three months, that's it, three months since God had delivered the Israelites out of Egypt. They've been in slavery for hundreds of years. God steps in and in a powerful way. They see him at work in the plagues. He rescues them out of Egypt. He does this huge, awesome thing where he, he splits the Red Sea in half so they can walk across and the Egyptian army that's pursuing them to grab them, to take them back into slavery, is killed in the Red Sea. He, he then leads them out into the wilderness by his very presence. There's a, there's a cloud in the day, a pillar of fire at night. He's speaking to them. He's saying, hey, here's what I want from you. Here's, here's what this relationship's gonna be like. He's feeding them every day. They're golden grams on the ground, manna all the time, every day. They, they see them, they can pick them up. This is great. We could, they complain about, we don't like golden grams anymore. God says, okay. And quail appears, just, just these birds out of nowhere. God's taking care of them. They don't have water. God gives them water from a rock. They find another bit of water and it's a bit of water and it's bitter to the taste and, and God makes it sweet. I mean, think about that. So all this has happened. They get to the, the foot of Mount Sinai and this mountain right now, it's covered with thick darkness and thunder and lightning, God's glory on display. And they completely forget it all. They take off their gold and they say, let's make an idol. If you think about it, if you know the, the history of, of how they got to where they are right here, do you remember where that gold came from? Do you remember the story of as they were leaving Egypt? And God said, tell you what, I'm not just gonna free you from Egypt, man. I'm, I'm, gonna, give you, I'm gonna give you gold and plunder. And so he, he, God made the Egyptians give them all this gold as they're leaving. And they take that gift from God and they make this golden cow, this calf to worship instead of God. I mean, think of the insult of this. It would be like a guy's wife selling her ring on Kijiji and then using the money she made from that wedding ring to, to rent a hotel room to hook up with another guy. What's going on here in Exodus 32, in, in 1 Corinthians 10, 11, it, it says that, that this was a, a put there as a warning to us. It says this in 1 Corinthians 10, 11, it says, now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. So Exodus 32, it's a, it's a warning for us. So we need to stop here and we need to ask, hey, what does this say about my heart and my life? What does this say about my relationship with God? See, what happens is the people feel like God is absent, they, that Moses has been up on the mountain too long. Like, where is God? And if God's not here, man, I gotta take things into my own hand. And, and God's not around, so we gotta make a new one. Hey, what about a cow God? That sounds good. Yeah, I get it. Fifth plague, God showed he was way more powerful than the cow God. He killed all the livestock, but maybe we can, maybe we can resurrect one of those cow gods and we can worship that instead of God, and maybe he can save us. 
sounds crazy, doesn't it? In fact, they take the very words of God where God says, I'm the one who rescued you from Egypt. And they say, no, 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 let's, let's attribute that to, to this golden calf. This is the God that rescued us. Sin makes us act like total doughheads. It truly does. When we forget God, we start to do the most ridiculous things. And, and listen, as a pastor, I say that lovingly because here's what, I, here's what I see. When I read this passage and I see Aaron, Aaron, the, the one who was put in charge by Moses. Moses, hey Aaron, I'm going up the mountain. You take care of the people. You make sure they're okay. And here's Aaron with no conviction at all, no call to holiness at all. And the people say, hey Aaron, can you make us a new God? He goes, yeah, sure. Pastors like Aaron, they can draw huge crowds. There's no call to purity. There's no call to holiness. There's, there's no call that would make anybody feel uncomfortable. Aaron's like, well, I don't want to make anybody feel uncomfortable. I, I don't want to offend anybody. And Listen, if, if you can read God's word, if you could hear me preach every Sunday and you're never uncomfortable by what you hear from God's word, you might not actually be reading God's word. You might not actually be following God. If you're like, man, I'm never uncomfortable. I just read and go, yeah, that's good, that's good, that's good. Maybe you're not following God. Maybe you've created your own golden calf to follow. God's word should challenge us. It should bother us sometimes. Yes, it brings encouragement. It brings peace. It brings hope for sure. But God's word is also a hammer that smashes sin, that, that breaks hearts of pride. And I'm so convinced that I would be committing the same sin that Aaron commits here if I were to stand up in front of you all Sunday after Sunday and I never pressed in on our hearts, if I never called us out for where money or sex or power or positions or, or comfort or sports or family were, were our opinions, were any of that, were we loved and held on to any of that more than God if we never pressed in on that? I'm telling you, I'll tell you where my, my heart is, my, my sinful heart as a pastor is in this place where I would rather, I would honestly rather, let's just get together, let's drink coffee, let's hug each other, let's tell each other we're all good and let's go, right? And we can find ourselves, we talk so much about the grace that comforts us in our sin, but we never talk about the grace that confronts our sin. I mean, God forbid that Harvest ever becomes a church of cheap Christianity, that promises you everything, but it costs you nothing because that's not Christianity. And what happens is when we forget God, we forget who he is in his holiness, we, we make up this new kind of Christianity and, and where we can say, you know what? We can still worship and indulge in sin. You see what's happening here? Verse five, Aaron built an altar before this golden calf and he makes this proclamation, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord, he says. We're gonna worship tomorrow in front of this golden calf. And it says what? The people sat down to eat and drink and they rose up to play. That word play there, it's not just playing around. It's not like they got their Tonka trucks out, right? There's a sexual connotation there. They're, they're mixing their worship of God with sin. It, it, it's, it's when we sing songs of worship on a Sunday morning where our hearts are so far from God. It's, it's doing the religious checkmark thing while we care nothing about God's holiness. And listen, just calling yourself a Christian does not make you a Christian. 
If, if you truly are a Christ follower, he's given you a new heart. You, you've been set free from sin. You have a heart that's now drawn to other things. You, you haven't been rescued from Egypt. You just go back and hang out in Egypt. Absolutely nowhere in scripture do we see that Jesus intends to, to bring you salvation without also leading you to a new life following him. Now listen, we don't earn our salvation. It's not like, well, here are the things you do to earn your salvation. No, it begins with Christ. It's all him. We were dead in sin and raised again to a new life in Christ. But, but that new life brings a new way of living. You've been set free. You don't get to live your life any way you want anymore. When you've come to Christ, you've laid that down. You say, Jesus, you own the rights to my life now. I'm not on the throne of my heart anymore. Christ, you are. And listen, that's where the freedom of life actually is. When we're saying it's all you, Christ, and now Christ in you empowers you to live this new life. We forget this. When we, when, we, when we forget who Christ is, we forget who God is, we start to push against God and what he calls us to, and we start to grab a hold of other idols thinking they'll give us life. I mean, every one of us, me too, we take the gifts that God gives us and we say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna form that into a God. This is what's gonna rescue me. And, and we build these little golden calves of relationships this is my God. This is what saved me. This is my spouse who saved me from loneliness. These are my kids who give me value and purpose. This is my job that, that gives me my identity. This is the car. This is the house. This is the stuff. This is the, the, the education. This is the control. This is the comfort that saved me. And just like verses five and six, oh, oh, we'll hold on to the religious stuff too. We'll say, no, 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 I'll, I'll, I'll go to church, I'll sing, I'll serve, I'll give, but our hearts, when there's pressure, when we don't know where God is, when it seems like he's distant, when, when there's loneliness, when there's fear, our heart starts to grab a hold of the horizontal. <coughs> And we'll say, yeah, yeah, I know that I need God in my life, but I, I, also, I also need this golden calf here if I'm gonna be okay. I mean, think about your own life. Think about it this way. What does that look like in your life? Think about this. What do you run to in times of anxiety and stress? What's your first go-to? What do you use as an escape? What do you most easily and freely spend your money on? your time on, your effort on? What is it in your life that you'll protect at all costs? What is it in your life that's gonna bring out fear and anger and stress? What unanswered prayers can so quickly take you to bitterness or despair or fear? I mean, the reality is they, they'd forgotten God and, and yeah, they had a little worship service, but they'd, they'd forgotten who God was. They, they weren't worshiping God any longer. They'd, they'd reached out horizontally to grab something that brings them comfort. Really, really what happened is they started to really worship themselves. If you, if you want to think about what sin really is in its basic form, sin is us turned inward to worship ourselves. I 
You contrast this kind of worship with, with the worship you see in Ezra chapter 10, where God's people, they, they gather together for worship and it, it says that they, they wept before God for hours, broken in repentance before God after scripture was read over them. Now, now think about a Sunday morning like that. Think about coming in here on a Sunday morning and it's a group of people weeping in repentance. What would we think? We think, man, this is a weird church, man. Those guys are extreme. I mean, where are we as a church culture if brokenness and humility seem too extreme to us? I mean, we read in Isaiah 66, verse two, that, that God says, here's the one who I esteem. Here's the one who I lift up, the one who's humble and contrite in spirit, the one who trembles at my word. Psalm 51, 17 says the, the sacrifices of God are this, a broken heart, a contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despair. Second Chronicles 7, 14 says this, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and heal their land. And yet we, we take this picture of brokenness and humility and it's all over scripture, this call to that and we take it out of our worship service and we take it out of what we would, we, we would say, no, no, this is now normal Christianity. Listen, if there's no room for brokenness and humility in our lives over our sin, there's no room for God in our lives. There's no room for God because we've so turned inward, we've created our own gods. And, and what gets us into that place, what gets us there is when we get so casual with our sin. And I think part of that comes because we forget what God thinks about sin. If you're, if you're taking notes this morning, here's our second point. So first of all, we, we forget God, we, we turn to sin. Here's our second point, God hates sin. God hates sin. I mean, they set up this, this golden calf who is nothing like God. And here's one of the reasons he's nothing like God. Because as a golden calf, that thing could care less what you do. It's never gonna push back on you. It's never gonna call you to anything. And, and so we get this idea in our mind that, that God's like that kind old grandpa. That when you screw up, he just kind of pulls you in, pats your head, gives you a Werther's candy and sends you off again, Right? And we've got this picture of that's who God is. It's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that, that God is a God of justice, that God is a God of holiness, that God is a God of wrath against sin. He's a God of power. I mean, look at verse seven in Exodus 32 there. So the Lord said to Moses, go down to your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt. They've corrupted themselves. It's interesting there that he says, your people that you brought, this is the first time you see that God isn't saying they're my people who I've rescued. He says, Moses, they're your people now. They've turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They've made for themselves a golden calf and have worshiped it and sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. <clears throat> you know what that means? It doesn't mean like you woke up and you're like, oh, kind of stiff-necked and now God has wrath on you. Right? No, that's not what it is, right? It's this idea of you're not gonna turn your neck. 
It's like, you ever have a, you ever do this with your kid? You're like, hey, look at me. And your kid's like, no. Well, oh, just look over. I want you to look at me. Not because they're so mad. They're not going to turn and look at you. Right? And you're going to just turn your face. No, it's a stiff neck. And so we do that to God where God's like, look here, I'm not looking. And we keep our neck as stiff as we can. We don't want to move towards God. Goes on. Verse 10 says, now therefore let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them that I may consume them in order that I make a, may make a great nation of you. Listen, God's wrath is real. God's holy anger is real. His holiness is real. You have to understand that earlier in Exodus, God made this covenant with Israel. I just did a wedding yesterday and we, we talked about this idea of, of weddings are just, it's really a covenant where, where you say, hey, hey, I'm gonna covenant my life to you and you only and, and you say, I do at the wedding. That's what I'm gonna do. And, and God made this covenant with Israel and Israel said, I do, God, you're my God. You're my only God. And on the honeymoon, Israel's met another man and hooked up with him. And God's response, like any good husband, was not, yeah, that's cool. God's response here in verse 10, he's basically saying, hey, Moses, Moses, come here. You're gonna have to step out of the way, but just, just come over here beside me because I'm about to take these guys out. Just, just go, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna redo this whole thing with you. You're, I'm gonna build you into a nation and a nation that's gonna bless the world, but you're gonna wanna step out of the way because these guys are about to get it. That's what God's saying. It's the wrath of God. But God hates sin. He, he hates it. God, God's not indifferent to sin. Listen, indifference is, is the opposite of love. God loves us enough that he hates our sin. He's not cool with it at all. He doesn't overlook it at all. He hates it. Why? Because it rots out our souls. It rots out the souls of our families. It rots out the souls of our churches, of our communities. It rots out the souls in generations to come after you. And God says, I'm not okay with that. Thank you, Lord. Jesus isn't casual with, with any bit of sin in our lives, that, that, that his passion for grace is to completely wipe out every sin in my heart and in your heart, and God would not be a loving God if sin didn't bother him. In fact, I would say this, if you're okay with sin, if, if you can just keep on going on in sin, in that one pet sin you have, and, and just living a, a totally apart sin, it doesn't really bother me anymore, that should scare you. I think often we think of God's wrath as, as like lightning bolts and tsunamis. Like that's, like that's God's wrath being poured out. Romans 1 says this about God's wrath. God's wrath is seen this way, where you say, I don't want you, God. I want this sin. I want this sin. I want this sin. And God's wrath is to say, okay, you can have it. I release you to chase after that sin. And then our, our hearts eventually grab fully a hold of that golden calf and we forget who God is. We forget who we are. We forget the amazing thing that happened in Christ. We forget that we're made new. And listen, God is long-suffering. He will continue to woo your heart back to him, away from sin. Why? How? He's gonna continue to shine the light of his holiness on your sin. God's gonna continue to say, listen, I hate that. I hate it. I'm not okay with that. I, I'll bring discipline into your life to bring you away from that. I want you to know that I'm not okay with that. Listen, here's, here's the amazing, amazing truth of God's hatred of sin. Our last point this morning, it's this. There's hope in Christ. 
the only thing that's gonna stop you from experiencing the grace of God in Christ is by keeping your neck stiff. What's that look like? What's it look like to, to push aside the hope of God in Christ? What's it look like to keep our neck stiff? Look at verse 21. It says, and Moses said to Aaron, so Moses comes down, he sees everything that's going on. And Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do that you brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people. They're set on evil. For they said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. And, and as for this Moses, the, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. So I said to them, well, let me have any gold. Just take it off. And so they gave it to me and I threw it in the fire and out came this calf. That's hilarious. Here, here's a stiff neck. Here, here's what it looked like. First of all, you see what, he, see what he does there? He blames. You know your neck is stiff against the holiness and righteous and grace of God when, when sin is confronted in your life and you begin to blame. You hear what he's saying there? He goes, well, Moses, actually, I mean, it's, it's kind of your fault. You, you stayed up on that mountain with God too long. And you caused the people to have, have fear. It's, it's your fault. You, you were laid. He, 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 then he blames the people. He just throws them right on the bus, right? Well, you know how brutal these people are, Moses. I mean, don't we do this too? We blame our spouse, we blame our parents, we blame our kids, we blame our job, we blame a pastor, we blame a church, we blame people in our lives. Well, they're the ones who've caused this in me. Listen, Moses' absence didn't cause the sin of the people. The stress and anxiety in your life does not cause the sin in your life. Moses' absence, the, the pressure in our lives, it doesn't cause the idolatry, but it sure reveals it, doesn't it? I think one of the coolest examples I saw of this, I saw a pastor do this once, maybe you've seen it, where he, he took some water and he said, he, he, he shook it and he goes, what came out of it? Water came out, right? Why did water come out of the bottle? Because well, you shook it. No, no because if I had a, a bottle of milk and I shook it, milk would come out. Water came out, not because I shook it, because water's what's in it. So, so when those, those tough times come, when stress comes, when fear comes, what comes out of our heart was already there. And listen, for sure, people will sin against you. How we respond is totally on us. We blame when we should own. Say, that's my sin. Lord, I want to bring it to you where I can receive forgiveness, where there's hope in Christ for that sin that's been revealed. It's not my spouse's fault that I got angry. It's the anger in my heart. Thank you, Lord, for revealing it. We stiffen our necks when we blame. We stiffen our necks when we begin to justify sin. <laughs> Don't you love Aaron's explanation of how it happened? You know what? We just threw gold in the fire. And pff, this golden calf appeared. Like He sounds like he's in grade five, doesn't he? Well, I was just walking through the grocery store and the, the candy bar just appeared in my pocket. I didn't take it, mom, right? I was just swinging my arm and my sister got in the way, right? I didn't hit her. Sin will cause us to say the dumbest things. Sin, sin will cause us to be so blind to reality. Listen, listen, this is why community is so important. 
I need people in my life that will point out to me when I'm saying the most ridiculous things because sin has so blinded me, because my idol is so close in front of my face, I can't see the reality of my actions. I need a small group around me. I need godly men and women in my life to say, hey, hey, Kai, you're not seeing clearly. Did you hear what you're saying? We're so bent towards blaming and justifying our sin. We're gonna push people out. No, no, you don't see clearly. I see, the calf appeared, man. We blame. We justify. We start to minimize sin. Well, it's really not that bad. When we minimize sin, listen, we minimize Christ. When we take sin lightly, we begin to take Christ's sacrifice lightly. We begin to take grace lightly. We, we need to see that God hates sin. He has a wrath against sin. He's a God of justice who won't just brush your sin under the rug. His, his payment for sin is destruction and death. But the good news, listen, the good news is that in Jesus Christ, he took that destruction and death for us. He took our place. Jesus took our retribution, the, the penalty we need to pay for our sin, that we're, when we're broken, when we're humble. The Bible says it's Jesus who lifts us up. I mean, Aaron throws the people under the bus. He goes, yeah, 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 it's because of their stupid sin. Look at verse 11. He, he, listen to Moses, what Moses does when the people sin. Verse 11 says, but Moses implored the Lord his God and said, oh Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you've brought out of the land of Egypt with great power, with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? He says, turn from your burning anger and relent from the disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self. And you said to them, I'll multiply your offsprings as the stars of heaven and all this land that I promised I will give to your offsprings and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he'd spoken of bringing on his people. Moses steps in, so much better than Aaron. Moses steps in and he pleads on behalf of the people and God relents. Why? Why? Because listen, Moses is a picture of one who would come, who would be a better Moses. Moses, he, he can stand up and plead for the people, but he can't pay the penalty for the people. Why? Because Moses is a sinner just like they are, but a better Moses would come. There'd be a better Moses who would go up onto a mountain who would stand as a mediator between us and a holy God, that Jesus would come as the perfect one. Amen. Jesus would come as the only one to stand between us and God, the only one who could take on our sins, your sins, my sins, the only one who could absorb the full wrath of God towards sin, the only one who could raise victorious from the dead to bring us new life, to conquer sin and death and Satan as they drove the nails through his hands and through his feet. As he screamed in agony, as he would lift himself up to catch a breath, as his lungs would fill with blood and, and water, as that would have, and he would sink back down in agony. You know, in the book of Mark, it says that when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, that he, that he shrunk back, that he, he, he fell back in horror of what was to come. 
on the cross. And it, it wasn't the, the physical pain that, that he was about to experience, but, but he was understanding what was about to happen, that God's wrath, God the Father, pouring out his wrath on our sin was about to be poured out on him and he would be separated for the first time in eternity from God the Father. See, what's happening in that, on the cross in that moment is that all your shame, all your guilt, all your sin being absorbed by Jesus Christ so that you don't have to pay the penalty for that sin of your past. You don't have to pay the penalty for that shame that you carry. You don't have to, you don't have to run to that idol any longer. It's all been paid for. We see what happens here in Exodus, the consequence of their sin. When you finish off the rest of the chapter, 3,000 people died because of that. I love in the book of Acts that Peter gets up and proclaims Jesus Christ as the savior for our sins and 3,000 people are saved for eternity. We see here, in, see here in Exodus that God's fire comes down and consumes them in their sin. In Acts 2, God's fire comes down and it, it lights them up for the gospel and, and they're standing now in a place where they can see God's presence. Why? Because through the blood of Christ, they've been healed. The whole point of Exodus 32 is to show us our need for Christ. And, and Harvest, listen, we need Christ. And it begins when we humbly see our sin. No more excuses, no more hiding, no more blaming, no more minimizing the sin. And you come to the end of yourself and you realize, I can't do this. There's, there's nothing I can do to muster this up. It's Christ in you. It's Christ enabling you. It's Christ enabling you to, to live the godly life. It's Christ enabling you to honor him in holiness and in purity. It's Christ enabling you to live a life that exalts him for his glory and the good of others. This, this whole idea, this whole point of salvation, it's not just this moment of salvation. It's this lifetime of salvation that, that Christ now, he fills you and, and he, he enables you to live a lifetime dedicated to the glory of God. A lifetime of repentance, a lifetime of re-embracing that grace that first saved you. And so here's how we're gonna respond this morning as the worst team comes up. We're, we're gonna respond this morning celebrating that very grace, celebrating the cross of Jesus Christ. We're gonna respond with the Lord's Supper. So the ushers, they're gonna, they're gonna come up and they're gonna <clears throat> begin to hand out the elements and they're gonna do it here in, in Perry Sound, the same thing. The ushers are coming up right now to begin to hand out the elements there and, and Godfrey's gonna pray over you when, when we're done here. And As the elements are being passed, here, here's what I want you to do. We're gonna remember as we hold the bread and the cup that it's only through the cross that we're made whole. It's only through the cross that our sin is dealt with. There, there is no other way. That, that our hope, that our identity, that our purpose is found nowhere but in the cross of Christ. Our, our foundation for life is found nowhere but in the cross of Christ. And why do we celebrate the Lord's Supper? The Lord's Supper is such a, extremely serious picture of the severity of sin. Our sin was so serious that, that Christ, God the Son, had to die in our place. 
And so when we hold the bread that represents his body, we, we hold the cup that represents his blood poured out for us, that we see that, that only his death and resurrection could, could rescue us, deliver us out from under the severity of our sin. And so for those who are in Christ this morning, here, here's what I want you to do. I want you to contemplate the seriousness of sin. As you contemplate it, don't think about it from your perspective. Think about it from God's perspective. And when you see it from God's perspective and, and you see the cross, you're, you're, you will no longer be content with just a, a quick general confession. Lord, forgive me for my sin. Let's partake in the Lord's Supper. But, but there'll be a time here this morning, a, a prolonged time, where you can bring your heart before the Lord in honesty. I want to give us some time this morning, time for us to be humbled before the Lord, a, a time for us to be honest before the Lord. And as you do that, that you would see God's wrath towards sin and his love towards you. If you're here this morning, you're like, man, that, that's my life, Pastor Kai. That, that's, I mean, I'm not perfect, but as I fail, I just continue to, to come back to the cross again and again to, to grab a hold of that for my hope. Then this morning, would you just celebrate that? Praise God for that. If you don't know this morning whether or not you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you've never embraced the cross, you've never come under the cross and out from under God's wrath, Here's the amazing part of grace. You can this morning. You can this morning embrace the mercy of God simply by trusting in Christ. For all of us here this morning, just let this be a moment where you see sin and you hate it. Where you run from sin and towards Christ. And if you're here this morning and you're saying, I'm not a Christian, I have no intent of pursuing this. If you're here this morning, you know, I'm a follower of Christ and I don't know if I'm there yet. And I would tell you, if you're a follower of Christ, get there. But if you have no intent, then, then, then let the cup pass. This isn't for you. You, you can participate by, by observing others who are, who are seeing the grace of God poured out on their lives. So here's what we're gonna do. We're, we're gonna sing. I'm going to give you some time and me some time for us to bring our hearts before the Lord. <clears throat> and, and if you need to, to come up here and get on your knees, if you need to get on your knees where you are, whatever you need to do to get yourself before the Lord in a, a place of, of reflection, in a place of humility, in a place of, of recognizing your sin and bringing it in repentance to receive forgiveness. Take that time, and then after a, a bit of time, we're going to come up. We're going to participate together in taking the bread and the cup, and then we're going to sing again to end off this morning. So let me pray this morning before we, uh, before we begin. Father, God, I pray that in the next few moments here this morning, God, that you would transform our understanding of sin. God, I pray that we wouldn't take these next moments casually. But God, you would, you would bring us to a place of a deeper awareness of who you are and our need for you. 
God, I pray even for those this morning who don't know you, God, that, that your spirit would fall on them in great conviction. God, your spirit would be heavy on us all this morning and, and bringing conviction of the sin in our hearts because we know that that's where we find life when we turn from that and turn to you. God, I pray that across this room we would see our need for you. You give us the grace that we need to express that, that we'd call out to you for forgiveness. Because God, we trust that as we confess our sins, you are gracious, faithful, and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we celebrate you, Lord Jesus, the one who takes our penalty for our sin, the one who sets us free. God, we come before you this morning and pray that you would forgive us of the sin of Exodus 32. And God, draw our hearts back to you this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.